Why don't you join me in my new venture, which is webinars? As a listener to this podcast, you get a discount. When you go to join up, you just have to remember that your discount code is podcast, and then you'll get a big discount. You can look us up at Curtis Farrier Books, or you can email us on sjcurtisbooks at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. We would love you to come to our webinars. You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This episode today is kindly sponsored by Hoof Care Essentials Foundation partner, Equine Medical and Surgical Associates. In 1930, Dorothy Brooke arrived in Egypt and was determined to rescue horses that had been left in Cairo or sold in Cairo by British, American and Australian forces after the First World War. Basically, they'd been dumped there. And she set about rescuing them. And in 1934, she formed the Brook Charity. And I'm going to be speaking to two farriers who are really involved in a continuation of that charity, which is now worldwide and sets out to improve the lot of horses, donkeys and mules around the world. The two farriers that I speak to, one from the northwest, Alex Ridgway, and one from the southeast, Tom Birch, have really involved themselves in this charity as farriers. Tom has an interest in history starting with uh, after his apprenticeship with the Metropolitan Police in London as one of their three farriers and now also employed looking at approved training farriers around the UK. Alex Ridgway came down to East Anglia into Norfolk to do his apprenticeship and then finally moved just 30 or 40 miles down the road to Newmarket to shoe racehorses. He's now a consultant with the Brook, but I'll let them tell their story to you. Now, I usually travel to some exotic spot to do my podcasts, but not this time. I have got two gentlemen here who have travelled themselves to exotic spots and we're going to uh, look at that. I'm lucky to have both Tom Birch and Alex Ridgway who have joined me here in Newmarket in my purpose-built recording studio which I've been working on during lockdown. Uh, so I hope you find that there's a big improvement in the sound if not in the quality of the interviewing. The reason I've got both Tom here and Alex is that they're both very much involved in the Brook, an equine charity, and we're going to look at that quite a lot later on. But of course, initially, we're going to look at how both Tom and Alex have got to where they are as farriers. So, uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Hi, Tom. No. No. My name's Simon. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Alex. Not nervous before the interview, are we? Could be a long afternoon. (laughs) So, all right. Welcome to both of you. Now, uh, what I'd like to do is ask, first of all, you, Tom, how did you get into farriery? Um, I went to work for someone when I was, what, 10 or 11 years of age, riding his horses. Not going up chimneys, then. Not going up chimneys, but it was close, I can tell you sometimes. Um, And... um, got to the point where basically his wife said what are you going to do with your life and I said well I'll just carry on I'll be a groom she said no you're going to make something and um, spoke to my mother and the next thing you know I got an apprenticeship down in Faversham in Kent and that was it four years of bliss and who was that with (laughs) that was a guy called Philip Cook and he was originally trained by Edgar Stern who was a very well-known farrier down in that part of the world 
And the Stern family's still going, isn't it? Oh, still going strong, yeah. Still but for going. those of you who don't know, that, that's really the southeastern corner of England, the Garden of England, it isn't is. it? It is. It's lovely, isn't um, it? Yeah. yeah, so it's... Only, only problem is it's a bit close to France, isn't it? No. Well, it's it has recently become more like a car park, but let's not go down the political route. All right, okay, we won't, we won't <laughs> do that. Because you might get my full benefit, the full benefit of how I feel about that, but still. All right, so you, you had a traditional apprenticeship. Yep. And what sort of horses were you showing? Oh, everything. Every, absolutely everything that you can think of, from ponies. We had Suffolk Punches. We used to go and do the Suffolk Punches on the Isle of Sheppey Prison. Um, hunters, some race horses, point, pointers, you name it, we did it. Donkeys, a lot, yeah. Anything that you could squeeze in between 5.30 in the morning and 10 o'clock at night in the summer. <laughs> so, um, the full spectrum. Okay, and was it just you and your boss, or was no, there, there was no, more? No, there was a, um, a chap called Martin Crawford, and he, he was um, a year ahead of me in the apprenticeship. Okay. And uh, Martin, I, my boss, I don't know what's happened to him, um, but Martin and I, here we are some 50-odd years later, and we're still close friends, so, you know. Oh, that's great. Oh, so, yeah. I suppose you could say we had quite a hard apprenticeship, and it's amazing you tend to pull together with things like that, don't you? I had one old fairy that said to me, when you've had a hard apprenticeship, the rest of farrier becomes easy. Mm -hmm. I think he's probably right. Yeah, I suppose the scars on the back never heal. Do <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know. Anyway, so you you started there, yeah. and and I know uh, that you know we've known each other a long time, mm. and but you got into shoeing for the Metropolitan Police, didn't you? As one of their three farriers. I did. We we had um, when I finished my apprenticeship. I wasn't going to shoe a horse again as long as I lived, you know, I'd had enough. That is that is genuine, I really had. And um, I went to work for British Rail as a blacksmith on a night shift. And I did four nights a week and uh, um, one one night one of the guys came in and he said, there you are, there was a job that would suit you. And it was the, the Met Police were advertising for a farrier, uh, based at Bow in East London, and that was in the Horse and Hound. Um, and I went up and I got the job. And to this day, I can still see, I, I did the interview with a, a man called Ron Tyndall, who was an inspector at King's Cross. And to tell you how different things were back with the police back then, about two weeks after I started the job, the inspector in charge of my stable, my forge, came in, and his name was George Fleming. And George Fleming, lovely man. And to this day, I can still see him standing in the forge door, smoking his cigarette, with his hand in his pocket, and said, well... I hope you're going to be all right, but I wouldn't have given you the job. And uh, why is that? He said, well, you're too young, you're single, and you live too far away. Well, okay, so what about my shoeing? Well, we'll see about that, you know. Um, anyway, give him his due, about a month or so later, he came back in, he said, well, I would have been wrong. Um, and the no, army, he wasn't really a policeman. No, he was, he was probably, he was probably <laughs> being nice to me, you know. Yeah. Anyway, about not long after that, Tyndall, Ron Tyndall, the inspector, came over because they had an inspector's meeting. And he said, you know, you were really lucky that day. I said, well, what was that? How, how come, God? Because they'd be calling it. He said, well, in all honesty, Tom, there was a full moon that night, and I go a bit strange when there's a full moon, so that was it. So I don't know whether I got the job of my skill or whether because there was a full moon. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and how long were you shooting for the Met the police? I did 30 years with the Met. And I know um, you told me that, of course, you, you know, they, in London there, if there's a big demonstration, um, then you see plenty of police on horses. Mm. And you used to have to go out as backup, didn't you? Yeah, we, we did. Um, so we would take it in turns, there were three of us. Um, my forge was at Bow. Um, chap called Dave Moxon was at Hammersmith. And a fabric called Tony Paul was down at Hampton Court. Um, so it was generally myself and Dave, depending on where the demonstration or whatever it was. And so at the time, the Met had, in the early days, something like 260 horses. Mm. And so they were shod every four weeks. And in central London, just off Trafalgar Square, there is a stable. And that stable is called Great Scotland Yard. And in there, they're stabling for, I think it's 27 horses. But outside Great Scotland Yard, that the whole road and the, the adjoining road would have been filled with horses for demonstration purposes. So it was if a horse lost a shoe or if anything happened, then we would just go and take the shoe back on. So he'd sit there all day. You know, 
if nothing happened, you were lucky. But was there ever any excitement from your point of view? Um, trying to stay awake sometimes was a difficult. Oh, hey. <laughs> no, you did. You got. You had. You had the odd. You know. Um, the odd time. Um, I think you can say. You recognise the faces of some of the demonstrators if you sort of walk to the end of the road and have a look. You know, and you might. Um, you might see the the same faces. So you're saying there's rent a mob. I wouldn't go down the road and mention yeah. Renton while being diplomatic, but let's just say you might find that one week they will support one organisation <laughs> and the next week they're supporting something else. But they were there, that's for sure. Right. You know. Anyway, uh, I'll move on to Alex yeah. because we're going to get to the point where you leave the Met and, 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 and that. So now, Alex, you are way younger than Tom, but that's no great difficulty. So, so just tell us, how did you get into uh, Farrier? Well, it's a, it's a funny story, really, because I um, we, we grew up with horses. My parents had a uh, sort of livery yard riding school as we were kids, and uh, I always remember on on the weekends, my mum would would get us to lead the horses out, and she would be teaching all morning, so we'd spend all morning leading these horses out, and then it got to the point where I wanted to get away from horses. I didn't want anything to do with them, sort of thing. Um, anyway, I, I go through sort of college and uh, I went off to university and had all the intentions of, uh, of joining the forces, I wanted to be in the, uh, the Royal Air Force. Uh, and I went to the sort of careers and, and they advised me to go to university. So I, I did that. And then it was only after that where I had a sort of change of heart, change of mind that I didn't really want to join the, the army anymore. And I, I kind of didn't really know what, what I wanted to do. I was a little bit older at this stage because I'd gone through that sort of period. But, but my brother, who is five years older than me, he, he always wanted to be a, be a farrier. So as soon as he left school, off he went at 16, did his apprenticeship, and then he moved away. So we're, we're from up uh, on the Wirral, so just uh, between North Wales and Liverpool. And he moved down to, to Norfolk direction. He tra trained with a, a guy called John Blake. Um, and he used to phone me up. And this is like oh, shortly after my sort of uni days. And I'd, I'd be awake through the night and sleep through the day sort of thing. And he'd, he'd phone me as early as he possibly could in the morning. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm asleep, you know. Um, I've been up all night. Um, but anyways, like, why, why didn't you seriously think about doing it? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating doing my um, certificate to get his uh, ATF qualification. So, so I hummed and hard about that for a while. And um, yeah, and then in the end, I, I, you know, I, I liked the idea of... You know, having that business, be having a family business, uh, working together with with my brother, and then also the the, the attraction with, and it leads quite well in, onto what we're talking about today with our, you know, the work we do for Brooke, but the possibility to to travel with this job as well. So, um, so yeah, so so I sort of convinced myself, packed my car up, and uh, travelled down to Norfolk and started my pension. I, I have to explain to those that are not UK ferries, ATF is approved training ferry. And to have an apprentice, uh, you have to uh, achieve that status, mm. shall we say. So, a little bit dodgy being an apprentice of your brother, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and a few people used to always um, say, you know, how, 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 can you, how did you manage to work with your brother? But I think we used, we used to get on like quite, really well. Um, and there was never really any issues. You know, when you were at work, it was professional. He was the boss. Uh, and you kind of did what you had to do. And, do as you were told sort of thing. Outside of that, we'd always argue and stuff. But no, we had a good relationship and we still, you know, we're in business together now and still do, yeah. so. And you are plating racehorses in Newmarket. Now, how did that happen? <laughs> so we weren't that far away. So training in, in Norfolk, we were about an hour away and we, we had one, uh, um, an endurance client and she had a couple of uh, Arabian racehorses and she would stable them here in Newmarket. So every sort of six weeks would come and we'd take a drive up Hamilton Road, which is the sort of famous road with all the racing yards on. We'd just sort of look at the place in awe. Um, and then it was, as I was coming to the end of my apprenticeship, my brother actually took an opportunity um, to come and, uh, and do a couple of days working for another farrier, Stephen Kilt, uh, his business. Uh, and he, he really enjoyed it. He was doing sort of three days a week, sort of helping Stephen out. And then I was sort of covering his work back at home and, and he would be on the phone, he'd be like, oh, this place is brilliant, you know, it's, you've really got to come down. So I started coming down on a Saturday and we would only work Monday to Friday, sort of in that business. And Saturday's a very busy, busy day in, in Newmarket. So I'd come down, I'd help out, I'd have my list, I'd go off and chew these racehorses. And I really got sort of caught up in the, in the whole racing scene and being involved in, 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 you know, in these good horses that were going off racing. And I, I just like that hype and that excitement of racing. And then 
got to the point where I was then offered uh, more time and had to make that decision. Is that a path I wanted to go down? And and I certainly don't look. Well, I'm, I'm never going <laughs> to knock it, Alex. As you know, I I, I was born in Newmarket yeah. and I yeah. spent my life yeah. shoeing racehorses mm -hmm. and and working on the stud farm. So I'm not going to knock that. But it's not the usual route in, though, is it? There's no. not a lot of barriers either mm -hmm. want to or can adapt. Yeah. From from shoeing non thoroughbreds to shoeing to being a plater in racing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I always find that a lot find it more difficult uh, because of these well thinner hoof walled horses. Yeah. And and also the lifestyle. I mean, you can earn some good money in racing, but by goodness, they have got you. Yeah. To put it politely, in the golden uh, handcuffs, haven't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. which is you know considering my, my start and not really sort of wanting to work with horses, and then. And my brother used to laugh because he used to say I was a little bit of a hippie in a sense where I'd, I'd do farrowing, I'd do it a couple of days a week and, and maybe do a bit of travelling and things like that. And I'd now come into an environment where you're working six, if not sometimes seven days a week and it's it's intense and it's long days, long hours. And But I, I like that side of it. I like the professionalism of it. Um, I like working with the horses and actually seeing those horses go off and, 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 and compete and do well, hopefully. So yeah, just like the the excitement, the, the involvement in, in the in the team of of, of working in, in in quite large yards. So yeah, and you, you've fun. now you've got a place in Newmarket, so you haven't got an hour's drive no. every morning yeah. and every evening. So we started sort of commuting from from um, Norfolk into town, but when you start in some of these yards at five thirty or quarter to six in the morning that was an early rise and I'm not the best in the morning so yeah I quickly uh, moved to Newmarket so I can roll out of bed and drive down the, drive down the street pretty much. Well I have to tell you that a year from since I retired from shoeing I still get up between half five and six o'clock in the yeah. morning so be careful <laughs> it becomes a habit. All right let, let's go back to you then Tom so I know that that I don't know whether it was while you were with the Met or afterwards you then took on this role of, of, of checking up on approved training farriers and apprentices, didn't you? Um, You've no, been doing that quite a while I've now. I've been doing that about 10 years now. Yeah. I, I did it, um, it was after I retired okay. um, from the Met. Um, Miles Williamson Noble sort of asked, approached me, he was the then registrar of the FRC, and he approached me and asked me if I'd like to go around as a field officer. And it sort of, and it went from there, you know. Um, so it was about three years with the National Farrier Training Agency, and then of course they closed down, um, and the other colleges took most of us on. And you, you work direct for one yeah. college or more than no, one? No, I work for two, I work for Warwick, and I work for Myosco. Okay. So, and it works out quite well because, you know, it means that they're not having someone coming all the way down from Myosco down to Denver yeah. or something like that, so it, um, and, and, and the same for Warwick, so it works out well for both of them. Um, it's interesting, frustrating sometimes, but interesting. Apprentices are always frustrating, Tom, yeah. and that's when they're your own. When they're somebody else's, it must be doubly so. <laughs> so, so how many how many training barriers and how many apprentices might you see in an average week? Um, well, it, it depends on the blocks, you know, um, and when you have to see them. Um, so, I see them approximately every twelve weeks. So, once they've gone to college, I would see them about twelve weeks after that, and that's that's it. Um, it just depends on the group. So it might be that I have to see, you know, um, half a dozen apprentices. And this week, for example, so I've seen two today, saw three on Monday. And then that's it for this month because that block okay. is done. So it's not, it's, it's, it's a part-time job as well. So what's the average problem you have to deal with? Because you wouldn't be there if there's never problems. Oh God, I can't really say. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, can. We're not naming okay. anybody here. Well, I, I think what happens is... The average problem, um, well, sex is its ugly head, to put it bluntly. I think, you know, it's always been my opinion. They start off, they start off fine, they're very keen, they're very shy. Um, you know, they're in a new environment, their bodies aren't up to it, and that's the simple yeah. fact. Yeah, and you, you mean know, not strong enough to yeah, shoot? not strong horses, enough, you yeah. know. Um, and, and the boss is not pushing them, but the boss is trying them to get them to do more and educate them more. Um, and then all of a sudden they go around the stable yards, no matter where they are, and uh, they'll either see some girl or some boy, if they're, uh, and they think that's it, you know, and they fall in love. This sounds silly, but I see it so many times. And the quality of work then starts to go downhill. 
And the next thing you know, they settle down because they are, they are yeah. a couple. The quality of work goes up. And then they break up. Yes. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and the quality of work goes, whoom. You know, so down again. It's, and, and, and then it, it settles out and it settles down. And, and, and you have other things, you know. Um, it depends. You have some that are very, very good practically, but not so good theoretically. And as you know, I mean, you've had apprentices. And then you have vice versa. I've probably you know, nearly had the record. Yeah, I think I had um, 31 apprentices. Yeah, that's, 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 that's why you've got the grey hairs. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, uh, He's joking, of course, because yeah. as I can say on this podcast, I have a full head of hair yeah. and, and not a grey head on yeah. hair in uh, it. Well, that's what his pictures say anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it is a variety of problems, you know. Yeah. Um, you sometimes find that you know, they're going along to the apprenticeship and you think, this this lad, this girl isn't going to make it. And we were talking about this in, mm-hmm. the, in the car on the way. Then all of a sudden, within, they have two years, 18 months ago, and a little flick, switch flicks on, and that's it, and they're okay. Yeah. They generally work out in the end. But yes. Yeah. Well, they're all individuals, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You think, I mean, they all go in the same system. Yeah, yeah. But they're individuals, so different they people. react they are, differently. They yeah. are going to react to different situations, you know. Okay, I want to get on to Brooke. And um, so so both of you have had a career as farriers. Um, I don't, how long is your career at this moment, Alex? Well, I qualified in 2015, so I've been qualified for six, six years. Six years, and you did yeah. four years before. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ten years into the, ten the, year ten years into the job, <laughs> and 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 what about you? How <laughs> yours is? About fifty songs. I know. Well, mine was about fifty. It's all right. It's all right. You don't have to. I'm not. Is there a calculator on that iPad? No. You know, I when I went to to sort of Farrier College, we had slates and chalks just before anybody. I'm surprised you weren't just chipping on a block. But anyway. They had invented steel by then, though. Um, I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, I don't know if either of you or one of you is going to tell me something about Brooks' history. How did it come to be? <laughs> You're going to catch me out. You can you? both have a go. Come on, yeah, Alex, yeah. you start off. Well, How did Brook begin? Well, Brook began in, and I'm stuttering because I can't be 100% sure on what the date was. Was it 19... It was, it, was it was after the Second World War, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And it was started by a lady called Dorothy Brooke. Um, and it was, it was the war horses of the, the First World War that, oh, were, okay. so that were sort North of North taken North. out by the, by the armed forces. And, yeah. and, and unfortunately... In the North African desert. Yeah. And unfortunately they were left. And I think uh, it was Dorothy Brooke that discovered uh, these, these poor horses, wanted to help them, wanted to treat them, and started the, uh, the, the charity from there on. Yeah, they were dumped in the desert, weren't they? Yeah. Just it wasn't dumped, worth yeah. bringing them back. Too expensive oh, to bring I them back. And I think there was half a million of them or something, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know how many were rescued. Yeah. Look, I don't want to embarrass you that I actually clearly know more about the Brook charity. I've got a sneaky feeling there was in total in the First World War, and you can correct me, I think there was something like six million horses that yeah. went from the UK to mm-hmm. France. Yeah, mainly to France, yeah. but obviously... Yeah. And I've got a sneaky North feeling there was only about... 150,000 that came home. Yeah. I, I might be wrong on the numbers, but it was a very, very small okay. proportion. So the, so the brook was set up by this lady yeah. who saw this, you mm-hmm. might say, tragedy with these mm-hmm. horses mm-hmm. and wanted to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if you can add anything. Well, to... I mean, Alex is right. It, it, it's strange because if you, if you although the, the book is the charity we work for, you know, you have World Horse Welfare, and that was set up by Ada Cole, and a very similar thing. Yeah, and it was to bring and it was to bring try and bring these some sort of comfort to these horses because they were abused and that's all there is to it. They were worked into the ground, and so she set up something whereby they were treated better. And they used to, um, they would have clinics mm. that they set up, and and people could take their horses. They could take their horses along, treatment. like a like a respite clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I when I did some work for them a, a long time ago. Um, an owner could take his horse into the clinic, and if the horse needed to stay in that clinic, and then it was treated, and they would lend a horse to someone. And and these places were amazing. I went to one in Cairo, one in Pakistan, and there was somewhere else. And I went. I think that might have been India. And and these countries are so many people outside, outside the gates, 
and you'd go in through these steel gates and it was literally like an oasis of peace and quiet. Mm. And they all had an area of grass in the middle. I think, you know, some of them still do. But an area of grass in the middle for the horses to have fresh grass. And they were taken in and they were treated and they were looked after. You know, it was, it, it was quite something to, to see. Is quite something to see. Right? So... So a marvellous charity with a great history, still going strong, yeah. still trying to fulfil its role uh, and doing that really well. But of course the, the, the change has been where we're really interested as farriers mm -hmm. is that they've come to the conclusion which I think would have been staring anybody yep. with animal welfare or horse welfare in, in, in mind in the face is that nobody neglects a horse but keeps its feet well trimmed and well shod, do they? Mm -hmm. So they, they, they've tried to get this, this new, shall we say, um, part to, the, to their role, a farriery of looking after hooves. Mm. And in order to look after hooves, you need well-trained farriers, don't you? Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so tell me something about, um, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but the Global Farrier Project. Yeah, Perhaps you right. can tell no, us. No, you got it right. right. So just sort of adding on to what Tom was talking about. So when they had the sort of hospitals and they were tr directly treating animals, um, Brooks kind of made that transition over the years and, and, and sort of tried to move away from that and have something that's a little bit more um, sustainable, something that has a little bit more longevity to it. Uh, and, and part of that, and I'm going to relate it now to the, to the Farrery Project, is, and, and we know and I'm sure a lot of the listeners here, you know, Farrery is a, a major... Um, or poor farrier and, and lameness is, is a huge welfare concern for especially working animals and, and farrier plays a massive part in that and poor farrier uh, and the links to lameness as a result of poor farrier has been flagged as, as something that needs to be addressed. So what Brooks is trying to do is, is to try and tackle the system in order to, to improve uh, the skills of people within the country so that they can have that sort of cascading effect and, 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 and sort of train others within that local area. So it's, it's no longer that direct treatment flying consultants out or flying farriers out that can treat a load of horses and then come back and it's not really addressing the, the root cause of the problem. So it's, 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 a, it's a very systematic sort of approach to it, which is really interesting and, and obviously brings a lot more challenges to it, but it hopefully has that sort of long-term effect that we you know the charity wants to it, it should, shouldn't it? It should yeah. have a bigger yeah. overall impact and long-lasting impact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. with, now, as you probably know, I actually used to go out to India quite a lot. Yeah. and um, But I was working for rich Indians on their thoroughbreds, yeah. not in the street. But there is the same issues with, um, you know, somebody who's, you know, earning a pound a day or, you know, dollar fifty a day. How much interest do they have in a poor horse? And you can't blame them. You know, they are struggling enough as it is. So, so I, I have at least some yeah. sort of idea yeah. of the um, environment in which you work in. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I also spent some time in Luxor and actually in the, yeah. the street horses and, yeah. and, and what have you. So, uh, yeah. And, it, you know, I think one thing that struck me and I think we should all be aware of is... We cannot judge um, these farriers on their skills, can we? Because they haven't had Absolutely the not. opportunities. Yeah. Forget about learning formally. They haven't even had the opportunity to see, yep. should we say, more advanced yep. Yep. shoeing. And when you actually see what they're able to do with the tools that they've got or the materials that they've got, you can... You know, you, you you take a step back and you go, wow. You know, they, they're able to actually shoe these horses and keep them going for the for their owners. You know, they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. And as you said, for not a great deal of money on you know a dollar a day, you know, it's 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 nothing. So when you then think, okay, well, we can have rasps or we've got the luxury of shoes or whatever it may be. You know, they're things that they're, they're not possible in that particular context. So it's it's a massive task to try and tackle Farrery. But um, I think you have to sort of take that step back and, and it's good to, to, to sort of... Each country's different in its own sense. You know, what materials they've got available, you know, what resources they've got and, and how much the owners are, are willing to sort of spend on those, those animals themselves. Um, you know, there's, there's some places where, you know, they're not going to want to pay for the services that you're trying to train and then you've got all the places which are fully dependent on those animals for their livelihoods and would choose the animal over their own over their own children or their own family sort of thing. So, 
yeah, it's a, it's a huge Actually, task. Actually, I, I used to have a few female horse owners here that would, <laughs> uh, took the same view. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so Tom, what, what's your role with Brooke? Well, I, I'm employed as a consultant, so yeah. I go in to the countries and try, and, and basically, I'm not going to say retrain them, I would say improve the skill that they already have, because picking up on something that Alex just said, these guys, with what they have, are incredibly skillful. Mm. You know, because we see them squatting down and hacking away at the foot with... Um, a poor old tool. Yeah. yeah, a poor old tool or whatever. I mean, but you touch that knife, you touch the ads or whatever they've got. That is, that is sharp, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they do learn by their mistakes. So mm. the, the, the concept of going out and, because it's been tried, of taking tools from the UK out there and giving them tools and showing them a different approach, you often go back and find that... And they've reverted. Well, they've reverted, and not only that, they've probably sold the tools. Oh. I mean, I can think of one guy in, in one country um, a long time ago now, and um, we had a lot of difficulty in getting him to come along and attend the workshops. And he came along, and he learned everything, and, and he earned the tools, and we gave him the tools. Anyway, about six months later, he hadn't turned up for a while. And we went out and we tried to find what had happened to him. And he died, and he died of AIDS. But he'd sold his tools. He kept the tools that he'd been given, and he sold them to pay for his funeral. You know, he'd gone back to using his own tools. He used to go around on a push bike and shoot horses. So these guys, so it's trying to get what they've got. You know, um, let's say Ethiopia. Let's use Ethiopia because it, it, it's a very difficult country. So we've taken the tools that they are using, we've got local blacksmiths, mm -hmm. and the local blacksmiths are making the same tool but a better quality of material. Yeah. And, and other countries you would get, so, and it's nothing more than what we would call a towing knife. Um, a pair of pull-offs could be a pair of pliers. That's what they get, it's what they can get locally. Hammers are generally, a hammer could be, you know, uh, an nut and bolt that is welded onto a piece of round bar. That's a hammer, you know, and that's what they use. And they, they, they are used to those tools. Now, you can, you know, you can think, oh, well, that doesn't do the job, but it does. It's cheap to produce. So if you're talking about taking a, um, a pair of hoof cutters out, even cheap ones, which are going to cost 35, 40 pounds, when they break, they can't afford to replace them. They cannot afford rasps. But if a local blacksmith is shown how to make a towing knife, which is what they use, for a pound, they can go and buy another one, yeah. or the equivalent of a pound. And that's the thing, and that makes it sustainable. So we not only teach them how to improve the quality of their foot trimming and shoeing when appropriate, we also show someone how to make tools which makes it more sustainable. Mm. So that's, that's the way so that's system. basically been your yeah. your your yeah. role for, for for how many years have you been involved with um, It's Probably about this is the age thing again. No, I'm asking you time. <laughs> I would I would say probably twenty five, really? 30 years more or less. Crikey. Okay, I yeah. didn't realise your relationship had been that long. Not I started with another charity. Um, okay. You know, and and it um, it was simple. The the saddler head saddler for the police and I were great friends. And he asked me to go out to Kenya and and do and teach the police officers how to shoot horses, and, it, and it's just gone from there. Yeah. All right, Alex. So, what is your role with the Brook? Uh, my role, it's actually, I'm the Global Ferry Project Coordinator. So, long title. Uh, yeah, it is a long title. Yeah. <laughs> I've <become> a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's at home now. Um, but yeah, so my, my role is sort of coordinating the project. So I work uh, in the global animal health team, which is predominantly made up of vets. Um, so I was the first sort of farrier to be, um, or farrier role at Brook, uh, which is, it's a part-time role. And because the global farrier project was, was uh, there was a, you know, there was a need for it. And then there was, you know, the, the, the global farrier project came about and they, they wanted to have someone in that position that could coordinate that project, um, sort of manage it. And, and you know, with Tom's involvement, we 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 had a pool of farrier consultants. So we were arranging where they're going to go, what countries they're going to go visit, 
Uh, and then also working with, and we call them farrier focal points. So similar to my role here in the UK, would have a similar role out in West Africa or Ethiopia, India, Pakistan. And then they would become my sort of work colleagues. So we would discuss, you know, the needs. We'd put our sort of um, training schedules together when Tom or the other consultants were going out to carry out this training. Um, so it's really sort of coordinating it from that perspective and it's sort of uh, I've been there two years now and I'm just starting to get to the point where a little bit more of a sort of advisory role and sort of because these we've learned a lot over the last two years they've had a lot of training from Tom over the years you know we've got brilliant staff in countries as well so it's just being that that person that they can sort of come back to help them out if they need further sort of training or materials created um, I could sort of help them with that so that's pretty much sort of my job and I'm also Tom's PA uh, and his his uh, <laughs> his travel, minute, his travel coordinator. <laughs> yes, my travel Is it because he, have you taught him how to switch a computer on yet? No, we we getting that. Yeah, it's slow. You know, it's slow. <laughs> yeah. Right, we we just have a, a a little break. Something that I often do. I'm going to ask three quick fire questions uh, before we get back to this, and I don't want any mulling over the questions. I want you to answer. Uh, as quick as possible. So uh, I'll ask both of you this. Um, it's, they, they are really quick fire. Iron shoe or rubber tyre? Iron shoe. Iron shoe. Iron shoe. Okay. Um, towing knife or rasp? Rasp. Oh, we got a split here. Yeah. Uh, donkeys or mules? Donkeys. Donkeys. Are mules that difficult, are they? Can be. They can be. Yeah. I don't know. I, I used to shoot one yeah. mule, I'd have to say. I don't um, think I've ever shot a mule. No. no, no I, 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 I mean, if you have got time for a quick... In Mexico, just outside Mexico City, we were there, um, not with the brook, but we were there to work on all the donkeys in this village. And the people came along, and this man came along with three mules, okay? And the vet knew the owner and uh, knew the mules. And you could see the colour draining from the vet's face when the three dog mules came down the hill. So all the vet had to do was give them an injection. And they nearly killed him. And I do mean they nearly killed him. Um, the, the owner said the feet are fine. We all sort of looked from a distance said, yes, we agree, which they were. Anyway, lo and behold, when all hell had broken loose and everything was over and the, and the vet was battered and bruised, an eight-year-old child came down the hill untied all three mules and led them back up the hill and they followed her like dogs following the owner. So, you know, but come near them, thank you, but no. <laughs> right, well, that's good advice to everybody, although um, <laughs> I, I also want to ask you both uh, what I call the deep philosophical question. Oops. And had you, both of you, wanted to view all the questions I asked uh, in this interview, that would be the one that I kept secret. But I'm going to ask you now, uh, so what, Tom, do you think is uh, the most important thing you've learned in life? Everybody and everything is different. Okay, that's short and sharp and sweet Absolutely. and not been given by anybody before. No. And we're well over 40 of these podcasts. What about you, Alex? Um, never stop learning. Mm. Never stop learning. There we go. Mm. Easy. I don't know. You've almost rehearsed these. I think <laughs> you've heard the podcast. All right, let's get back to um, both of you, your uh, work for Brooke. Um, how many countries have you been to with Brooke uh, at all? Oh. And which ones? Good grief. I've worked it out. It's something... Good grief. So, um, with Brooke, India, Pakistan, Senegal, um, Honduras, possibly Nicaragua. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. That's five. Kenya. I'll count them for right. you. Six. Okay, so there's those. Uh, with other charities, um, El Salvador, Mexico, um, South Africa. You're nearly Romania. as well travelled as me. Romania. <laughs> but yes. anyway, yeah. uh, and what about you, Alex? Because I know you've been there a lot shorter time, but where have you been? Yeah, we're with Brooke. I've been to uh, West Africa, Senegal. I've been to Ethiopia, and I've been to India. Okay. Yeah. So there are three sort of focal countries. And, and I know Senegal's um, just opened a farrier school or a training. Yeah, so... Actually, um, I know everybody at Brook that's involved in this yeah. is pretty happy about this development. Oh, well, made up with it. Um, we're very proud of the team out there. Um, 
we have a Farrier School that started about six weeks ago now uh, with 20 uh, students. Um, and that is supported by, so Brooke is supporting it and, and our, the, the Farriers that we've trained are running all the practical training side of things, supported by the Brooke Vets and the, uh, the Brooke team. Um, but it's actually, um, it's, it's, it's run by uh, the, the Ministry of Vocational Training uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a government recognised uh, accreditation, so they actually get a diploma from it as well. So it's six months worth of training, uh, quite intensive, uh, two weeks on, two weeks off sort of thing. And yeah, the, you know, it's the first time that we've been able to achieve that. And, you know, it's going to be the sort of blueprints for hopefully what we can repeat, you know, in the other countries that we're working in. So, yeah, it's a massive, you know, massive goal or massive achievement for the, for the organisation. And that all, you know, and the reason I know about this excitement, of course, is that I have been just slightly involved in uh, the Brook and the Worship Company of Farriers linking up. And that's, as you know, I'm really enthusiastic for your project and, or if I can even say our project. And, and the company's role is uh, really to try and help validate your, your training document, isn't it? And... You, you'll explain it better than me, Alex. Yeah, there's, there's that element to it. Um, but there's also, the, we, we like to use the word holistic at Brook. And, it's, and I, I mentioned it before, we talk about changing the Farrery system. And a big part of that is advocacy or the advocacy work that we try and uh, try and achieve. And that's promoting Farrery as a, as a job worth having sort of thing. And we want to sort of, like we've got here in the UK, I suppose we're quite lucky in that sense. You know, it is it is a recognised qualification. It's respected and it's also regulated. Now, I'm not saying we're going to. There are three things that we can achieve, but if we can work towards them, um, you know, we'll 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 go a long way in improving animal well, welfare. Well, it's been so, about hundred years, so you yeah. can have a 10, 20, 30 year plan, can't you? Yeah, exactly. And and, yeah. and I actually like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping to see it come into fruition. Oh, for sure. And I think having the Worshipful Company of Farriers, and this is where I was going with the sort of advocacy side of it, although um, it's a big thing to sort of, uh, you know, part of my role is, is resource creation. We're creating sort of frameworks in order to be able to go out and, and assess the quality of farrier that's being trained uh, and also then support that training. Um, but having the likes of the Worshipful Company who could look at this documentation and, 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 and go through it and, and give, you know, feedback on that. Uh, and then also sort of come along this journey and hopefully sort of support the project and the, and the training of these farriers is, is, is massive in it, in it sort of well, in, in many ways. As you know, while, while I'm about, uh, I'm sure the company will give you 100% support because, uh, you know, in the 30 years I've been involved in examining and with the company, mm. we've seen uh, the company's involvement, should we say, in developed farriery, in, in, in farriery in in developed countries, whether it's racing or sports horses, and it's really developed well, so much mm. so that, you know, we now examine on four mm. continents. But we're talking about, should we say, the elite sports, yeah. the wealthy, yeah. westernised yeah. farriers. Mm -hmm. So I, I think why the company is really happy with this is, you know, we feel we ought to try and contribute to the developing world mm. farriers. You know, that... There's more horses in the developing world, isn't there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's actually more farriers. Yeah. They might not get the recognition. Mm -hmm. um, so so it's, it's a sort of balance as far as I, yeah. I'm concerned. And, and I know that we're really grateful for this opportunity with the Brook. And I think all of us that have, that have just had some involvement are enthusiastic and, mm -hmm. and really want this relationship to continue. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, it's really important this global farrier project. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's great to have that sort of support from the worshipful company. And now you know we totally understand that you know achieving the standards that the worshipful company of uh, you know really endorsing uh, around the world is it's not going to be achievable in the foreseeable future. But you know being on the same page in regards to a, a sort of a good standard of farrowry that we can see mm. in these low to middle income countries would, you know, I think if we can always, at the end of the day, it's all working towards the welfare of the horse. And I think, you know, that's the, um, you know, what the root of the worshipful company of farriers and it's, you know, it's, it's Brooks ambition also. So there's a nice sort of links there and we're all working towards the same goals really. Yeah. Well, that's exactly yeah. it. Is that, yeah. that isn't just trite words, which are often yeah. used. We are working towards the same yeah. goal and, and that's why it's easy to support, mm. you know, um, no conflict with either organisation, no conflict with our values. 
-hmm. it's what we want. So I'm, as I say, I uh, hope we can do more to help. And, and on that line, how can farriers or, or anybody listen to this podcast, how can they help support this project? Um, well, we've actually got um, one of my um, sort of first jobs when we started this project was to, to develop a farrier pool and uh, of consultants. Now we we do sort of uh, really appreciate a lot of farriers that sort of get in contact with us and, and what willing to help and, and work in the countries that we do. Um, but unfortunately, we can't sort of cater for that, and and um, you know it's it's a it's it's a it's a tough one because you don't really want to turn somebody away that's willing to sort of offer support. Um, but, you know, we, we have that sort of team, we have that relationship with our... With our but I'm sure, even, and, okay, that, that's nice and farriers yeah. have this skill which you can use. But I actually also think there will be farriers out there and people out mm -hmm. there who have a good living. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you two have travelled and I've travelled to third world developing countries. And nobody who does that is in any doubt how privileged we are in the societies that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, how, so I'd actually say if anybody wants to support the Brook financially, how would they go about it? They can, and especially the project, so that, so that they can target. Yeah. Are they able to target that? Is somebody yeah, able so to they contact can. and say, yeah, you know, however yeah, small, yeah. I'd yeah. encourage anybody, yeah. whether, whether they give $10 or $100, yeah. um, to this farrier project. Yeah, so there's, um, you can contact the uh, Brooks fundraising team through the website, uh, but we also have a shop online where you can, you can, uh, you can buy um, sort of support a farrier package. Um, so that is available on there, so that you can directly sort of Well, I hope everybody listening has a look at it. Because to my eternal shame, I didn't look, I haven't <laughs> looked that up, but yeah. I'll look it up myself yeah. because I think it's important and uh, the Brook's doing such great work, and now mm -hmm. Farrier is really, mm -hmm. you know, a core part of it. Uh, all of us, I think, should yeah. try and support yeah. it, or at least show an interest, and, yeah. and, and I hope that happens. And I hope this podcast helps yeah, uh, to absolutely. promote that. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the reasons why... Sorry, Tom. Go on, no. I was gonna, it was one of the reasons why I got involved with Brook was because um, I was doing um, a little bit of work on social media, and I was finding there was a lot of people that were from countries that weren't as lucky as the country that I qualified in were, you know, we've got a good education system. Um, so I was creating these little videos on YouTube and the next minute I'm getting emails and Facebook messages from, from guys in the middle of nowhere asking for help and support. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a global community of farriers that are all in the same boat, really. And, you know, we are very privileged, like you said, you know, and if we can sort of donate and just help, you know, all the farriers around the world and, you know, it make a big well, well, we'll put some uh, literature out with this, and I'm sure Brooke will supply me yeah. with a few links and what have you. So anybody listening in, um, I hope you follow up on it. So where do you think the Global Farrier Project is going to go from here? Well, unfortunately, we've had a big spanner in the works in regards to COVID. Hasn't the whole world, yeah. yeah. So you haven't yeah. travelled anywhere for over no. a year, have you? No. New market. <laughs> well, you, at least you didn't call it third world. Or no, no. no. World. <laughs> I so, did cross the border, though. But that has allowed you, hasn't it, to concentrate, shall we say, on some of yeah. the paperwork? Yes. Some of the important yeah. but really boring stuff. Well, and get that done. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, I actually quite enjoy it because it's, as I was saying, I was creating videos on social media. So a lot of my work now is to try and capture how we train farriers, but by a virtual world now. Yeah. So we've even, we had one of our uh, farrier consultants, Leon, Leon Bentham. Yes, I know um, Leon really well. He, he was training farriers in, in West Africa, in Senegal, of how to, f to make a fire, you know, how to light a proper coke fire, um, how to get the fire going, how to use the fire over Zoom, you know, and that's something that's never been done before. So we're having to sort of think outside the box, but it's, it's, it's a time where we can be a little bit creative, looking at you know, what resources we can create, how do we support our teams in different countries. And, and so that, yeah, so it's an interesting time. But I think looking forward and, and, and beyond sort of COVID, um, it would be capturing the, the lessons that we've learned over the last two years, um, especially with the West Africa School, and seeing if we can then sort of scale that up yeah. and roll this out on, you know, across, we are a global organization, but we focused predominantly in, in these first, in these couple of years on those three countries that India, Ethiopia and West Africa. Um, but the need is, you know, all these other countries are crying out for this. So yeah. if we can scale this up 
and uh, you know sort well, of repeat all it. Power to you know, look, I uh, this has probably been the longest podcast interview I've done, and that's really because. A, there's two of you, you've both given really fascinating insight into the Brooks work. So I would like to thank uh, both Tom Birch and Alex Ridgway for doing this podcast. Thank, thank you very much. much. Thank you, Simon. Thank Appreciate you. it. So what did I miss? What would you have liked to have added? I think the only thing I would say is that we tend to forget, and it's very easy to do because you're focusing on the horse. We forget how much we change people's lives when it works. Mm. Yeah. And we really do. I have guys I've known in El Salvador, you know, uh, um, and, and Cape Town and places like that, who their entire life has been changed because of how we taught them to improve the quality of their work. And that's the bit we forget. So when we start well, changing the life... Good reminders, Tom. We give them confidence, you know, we change their lives as well. And, you know, they, they become your friends, it's as simple as that. Yeah. What do you reckon, Alex? I think what Tom, I think it'd be a nice point to end on, really. It, it, it is life-changing. Yeah, it is. Um, well, well, and I you develop I a relationship see. with those those farriers as well, you know, yeah. and, and now it's through the power of social media. You know, you get WhatsApps from them, you get pictures sent from them, um, and then they just see them going through the process and, and, and that process being supported by Brooke. You know, it's, it's you know, incredibly rewarding. I just want to ask one thing. You've, you've been, we are talking developing countries here. Mm. Have either of you ever been in a dangerous situation? Yes. <laughs> are you going to tell us? Nope. <laughs> well, you know, once I start talking, I can't stop. <laughs> All right. Okay, Tom, thank you. Well, that's a fascinating um, story from Alex and Tom, two very different characters who are united in a cause uh, with the Brook Charity to help farriers around the world acquire skills and knowledge that will in turn allow them to help horses. It's a marvellous project, uh, the Gro Global Farrier Project. I hope all of you listening will take the opportunity opportunity to look up online uh, the Brook Charity, famous old charity still doing its work in the modern world and if you can support it please do and especially support the Global Farrier Project. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.